0: Welcome, everybody. Bow, bow, bow. Happy April the 1st, 2020. I hope everybody is safe and sound in their lovely homes. Uh, welcome to a very special, very unique mini-sode of Less Rock, More Talk. Since it is the month of April, since we are stuck indoors, since it is a high-stress time of the year, uh, time of the existence of the planet Earth, we're going to take a different vein. We're going to slow things down a little bit. We're going to take the easy road. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna switch up the format for the month of April. Uh, for one thing, my usual host, not usual host, uh, my usual producer and co-host. Nick Robes, founder of the Nick Robes Podcast Network, will not be joining us uh, on this episode, at least. We hopefully will get our streaming, our satellites, hopefully it'll work out so he'll be on a future episode. Um, It'll be me solo, uh, Connor McGrath, the host of Less Rock, More Talk. I'll be hosting these shows solo, and we'll be going a little bit, we'll be going a different vibe. It's going to be called Less Rock. Less talk, more soft. Just a little bit shorter of episode, and we're discussing music that's a little bit more mellow. And uh, we're going to go back to April 1st, 1989 for this week's charts. And we're not going to count down the mainstream rock charts or the alternative rock charts. We're going to count down the adult contemporary charts. That's right. The music you hear at your dentist's office. What was popping off? At the dentist's office in April 1st, 1989. Let's take you back. April 1st, 1989. The number one film is Rain Man with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Hosting Saturday Night Live on April 1st, 1989 is that young, strapping lad, Lethal Weapon 2 star Mel Gibson. With musical guest Living Color. And uh, Wrestlemania 5 that weekend in Atlantic City, Trump Plaza. Hulk Hogan challenges, tries to win his uh, second WWF world title against his former tag team partner, Macho Man Randy Savage. uh, His former tag team partner, uh, Donald Trump, sits in the front row. That guy has no political future. He's a calm man, he's a grifter, he'll never get anywhere in the world. And uh, the number one pop song, we're not going to talk about the number one pop song, we're going to talk about it later. So again, less rock, more talk, um, is the usual format of the show. Usually we got a format for the chart, but uh, this is, you know what, I'm going to leave this in. This is going to be a little bit sloppy, but no second takes. Um. Normally we discuss the rock charts, but I figure it's a stressful time. Let's do some relaxing music. Adult contemporary, and adult contemporary is cuts a wide swath. It's anything. It f- started off as the easy listening charts in the early '60s, but uh, easy listening kind of took on a bad connotation probably towards the end of the '70s, early '80s. It became the adult contemporary chart in. 1979 so we're at the 10 year mark for the adult contemporary chart let's get let's get to the jess i've been rambling for four minutes we only have a short time of to be here probably lost all of our listeners so far all the nick robe stands are pissed that he's not on the episode but uh hopefully he will be on the next edition of our new spinoff less rock less talk more soft let's get going we're not going to play the music rights because, well, I mean, maybe I should play the music. I should cue it up. Are they going to sue me in a time like this? Is Peter Cetera's lawyers going to get... Is, are they really concerned about these things like the time it, like this? Yeah, my answer is probably yes. So I'm not going to be playing the sound clips. I will just be talking about the songs for these minisodes. So let's count it down. The April 1st, 1989... Adult contemporary charts. Voted by the listeners over 1972. Sorry, Leif Erickson, former less rock, more talk guest. Potential future less rock, less talk, more soft guest. Maybe not after 1972 got drubbed. Anyways, April 1st, 1972. Coming in at number 10. Uh, standard. Torch torch standard, basically. Kind of like a latter-day... Kind of like one of the later standards. It's Bette Midler from the soundtrack of Beaches. The Wind Beneath My Wings came in all the uh, down at number 10 on the chart. There's not a lot that I mean, this is a pretty ubiquitous song. It was she performed it on The Simpsons, that's the high mark of any pop culture on the final episode of The Tonight Show. This was a couple years before that. It's kind of, it is a little bit surprising that a song very openly sentimental and mawkish as this kind of came at the end of the decade of, uh, you know, when Irony was big. Um, it's just one of those songs that just feels very old-fashioned, which is probably why Johnny Carson loved it. He's an old-fashioned fella. Um, it's just you know, it's very I don't know. There's you know, it's just the thing is like adult contemporary. It's music adults want to listen to. They don't care about it being too sentimental. They don't care about it being mawkish. They're just you know, they they like. They aren't afraid to be sentimental. You know, as you get older, get a little bit softer. You know, I mean, getting in my thirties, there's uh, there's some some. Ruin Your Life for Sentimentality. And there's going to be plenty of sentimentality on this chart. That's Bette Midler coming in at number 10 with The Wind Beneath My Wings. Did you ever know that you're my hero? You're everything I wish I could be. I can fly higher than an eagle. Because you are the wind beneath my wings. Nick robes and that was number 10. Coming in at number nine is a band that I believe has come up on less rock, more talk. If they haven't come up, they will come up eventually, but they will be much more frequent um, frequently mentioned on less rock, less talk, more soft. They are I would say they're on the M- Mount Rushmore more of soft rock acts, especially in this era, Chicago with a song called "You're Not Alone." off their 1988 album, Chicago 19. Um, This is kind of like the last big gasp of relevancy for Chicago. Uh, Have Bill Champlain on vocals. He joined the group in 1980. He's not really the traditional lead vocalist for Chicago. After Peter Cetera left the group in 1985, he was replaced by Jason Schaaf, who was kind of like, you know, Younger, more permy version of Satara, and he usually sang the songs in the mid to late '80s. But they gave Bill Champlain the opportunity to sing "Look Away," which was a big hit from Chicago. I think off Chicago '19 as well. So he got another. He got another single. Uh, he got to lead the vocals on another single. Uh, a little bit more. He's got you know a little bit more mature, a little bit grittier voice than Jason Shepherd, Peter Sotera. But it's at this point, the well was pretty dry for Chicago. Uh, They had seen much better days. They kind of lost sight of what made Chicago great. That smoke in Chicago horn section that barely apparent on this song. Um, Yeah, Chicago was at the tail end once the 90s hit. They're like, get these guitars and horns out of here. You got to go on tour with R.E.O. Speedwagon, guys. You're not going to play you on the radio anymore. Number eight is a British act called Breathe with a song called Don't Tell Me Lies off their debut album All That Jazz. Um, this is a song that was originally released in 1986, it didn't get any traction, re released 1989. And uh, this, I don't have a lot to say about this song. This song makes Chicago 19 look badass, uh, but it made it all the way up to number 10 on the pop chart. So obviously, somebody liked it in 1988, 89. Uh, people, people were feeling, people were feeling a little bit run down, a little ragged at the time. I'm sure nobody in this audience currently listening in present day April 2020 can relate. You know, it's the end of the Cold War, people of end of the 80s. People just want to listen to some very toothless rock and roll or jazz pop and breathe, provided it for them. And speaking of toothless, speaking of smooth and relaxing, we got another guy that I would say he's on the he's on the Mount Rushmore of late 80s, early 90s or Easy Listening, the arch-villain of jazz music, the ever-controversial, coming in at number seven, the ever-controversial, Kenny G. That's right. Kenny, Motherhug, and G. Coming in at number seven with a song off his 1988 album, Silhouette, called Save the Best for Last. And it features the incredible, the immortal, Smokey Robinson singing vocals. So this is not a Kenny G instrumental. He had scored a top 10 hit uh, a year or two before this with Songbird, which was an instrumental. It's one of the last top 10 instrumental songs to hit uh, top 10 on the pop charts. But this song is not an instrumental. It's got the incredible Smokey Robinson giving a really great lead vocal performance. I think Kenny G, you know, it's not a very cool thing. To like Kenny G, except for it kind of is at this maybe sort of kind. I don't know. He was featured on Kanye West's gospel album "Jesus Is King." (laughs) Again, this is not a professional operation. Kenny G was featured on the gospel uh, Kanye West's gospel album "Jesus Is King," and about ten years ago, he appeared on the Weezer album "Ratitude." Some people say that might make him more lame, but I don't know. I think even working with Off prime Weezer and Kanye West, basically cool. Just as working with a a slightly past his prime Smokey Robinson, um, in the late eighties, is may I think you know those guys I consider them all creative geniuses um, in their personal lives and their political lives. Certainly not in the case of Mr. West, but in terms of music, those guys are all top notch. And I think it says something. That they would work with that little curly-haired imp Kenny G. Um, you know, he was at the the forefront of a very controversial movement, the smooth jazz movement. But he's got a very unique tone and sound, and just makes me relaxed. I just imagine I'm eating reading uh, People magazines at an office. Just puts me. It's hard to, for me to get stressed out when i'm listening to the smooth saxophone of Kenny G and when paired paired with the vocals of Smokey Robinson oh, it's just like just like drinking a nice glass of chardonnay and applebees on a tuesday nice guilty pleasure i would say it was best song at the chart so far controversial i will say i don't i don't i don't i didn't i i enjoyed it uh it's coming in at number six, another uh, act that is frequently played on, uh, you know, smooth jazz, R&B, quiet storm stations. Another act that has gotten critical appraisal from a hip, hip, hip-hop artist. hip artist. Hip-hip-hop artist? I need my thesaurus. A very cool hip-hop artist from the 2000s. Anita Baker was a song called Just Because off of her... Hit album, giving you the best that I got, it was like one of the follow-up singles to the title track off that album, and Anita Baker, uh, as I refer, uh, referred to earlier, she uh, Andre Three Thousand of Outkast is a has a massive collection of uh, Anita Baker bootleg T-shirts. Put it in the Google machine. He uh, Andre Three Thousand has a massive collection of Anita Baker bootleg T-shirts. He's an odd fellow. He likes to play his flute in the airport and he likes to collect Anita Baker bootleg t shirts. And uh, Anita Baker, she's got an incredible voice, a unique voice, very uh, kind of like incomparable. I have a heart I could, you know, just to give you an idea of what she sounds like. I was trying to think of comparisons. I couldn't really think of any. She's got a very full, earthy sounding, very soulful voice. I can see why Andre 3000 is a fan. Uh, I would. Even before I knew that, I would say he is much, I would say, if which artist is Andre 3000 from Outkast a fan of? I would guess Anita Baker. I would not guess Bette Midler or late 80s Chicago. Anita Baker. I mean, she's probably the hippest act on this. No, she's the hippest act so far, but there's hipper acts. Maybe the hippest act in 1988, 1989, excuse me, Get mixed up. But a very good good little R&B ballad. Number five is the first song on a countdown of three that was also a number one hit on the pop charts. Got Debbie Gibson, then teen sensation Debbie Gibson, with a song called Lost in Your Eyes off her 1989 album, Electric Youth. It went to the number one on the pop charts. Debbie Gibson was kind of unique in the teen pop genre, kind of known for... Writing her own songs, she wrote her own music, which is very unique. There aren't a lot of teen pop stars that write their own music, at least up to this point. Um, it's kind of maybe maybe paved the way for Billie Eilish in a way. Debbie Gibson uh, had a rivalry with Tiffany, of course. At this point, redheaded ingenue Tiffany, um, I you know Debbie Gibson was always kind of like the Nancy Kerrigan to Tiffany's Tanya Harding. Debbie Gibson had the polish, very innocent, Where wore a lot of berets, if I can remember correctly. Uh, my dad owned an, uh, I believe my dad has a this Debbie Gibson album on vinyl. Debbie Gibson, oh, she went, she, uh, not too long after this, she went the way of Broadway. But this was kind of like the peak, peak, peak Debbie Gibson. I think she probably won the rivalry out with Tiffany, but um, you can check them both out on Cameo, I'm assuming. Have them record a message for your friend's birthday party. Uh, Number four on the chart. I didn't do Nick Robes' top five thing. I'm not going to do that. He usually says something very dramatic after when we get to the top five, but I'm not going to do that because he's not here. I don't want to infringe. Number four, uh, we have Mike and the Mechanics. Leif Erickson will like this. With the Living Years, which was also a number one pop hit off of their 1988 album Living Years, no the in the album title, so I can't say it's the title track off. Mike and the Mechanics, of course, is a spin off of Genesis, uh, featuring Genesis guitarist and bassist. No, Jennifer, he's he plays bass primarily, but he also plays guitar sometimes. Mike Rutherford. Um, also, former squeeze vocalist Paul Carrick is in the band. This is a this is probably one of the big uh soft rock songs of the 80s. Um, uh, very again, sentimental and mawkish. There's a song about coming to terms with a difficult relationship with your parents, and at the end of the 80s, the baby boomers they're aging and they're like, Ugh, man. This song really appeals to them. This song appeals exclusively to baby boomers that are disappointed in their relationship with their parents. Um, it's also why the Star Wars trilogy is so, so big. Secretly, it's because people have complicated relationships with their parents, baby boomers, and everybody. I think I want to listen to The Living Years again. Because it's a song that I either... Will make f- and if I listen to it, no matter what, I'll either make fun of it or I'll cry. <sighs> but yeah, this was the this was how big Genesis was in the eighties. The not only did Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins have number one hits, the vocalists of Genesis, the bassist of Genesis, his spinoff project, the third tier Genesis spinoff tri- project got a number one hit. That's how huge Genesis was in the late eighties. Uh, moving along, top three, we got Vanessa Williams with Dreamin'. That was a off her debut album, The Right Stuff. That's a number one hit. Uh, just a solid late 80s R&B ballad. Vanessa Williams, of course, came to prominence as a former Miss America who got stripped of the crown for having it leaked that she took some nude photos before, uh, before she was, uh before she was Miss America, before she was a pageant queen, kind of uh, an early version of the fappening. Kind of like, you know, I remember the fappening from a couple years ago when some creeps leaked out a bunch of celebrity nude photos. 30 years earlier, Vanessa Williams, she had her, her photos, unfortunately, were leaked to the public. She got stripped of Miss America. But I think, you know, Vanessa Williams, she pulled through. She ended up, you know, turning that notoriety, uh, the notoriousness into a good thing and uh, became a great R&B singer, married Rick Fox. I don't think there's – I don't know if they're still married. You can email me after the show at uh, lessrockmoretalkpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com, but I believe they're they're divorced, but she was married to one of the sexiest late-'90s NBA players, Rick Fox. And uh, she had a pretty solid music career for it, and an acting, a number of acting roles. This is just a, you know, solid, solid song. I would turn it up if it came on WJCP in Portland. That's our smooth jazz R&B station. Coming in at number two is another number one hit. This is a Bangles with Eternal Flame off of their 1988 album, Everything. This was the Bangles' last album. Uh, for 15 years, kind of the last album of their 80s peak. It was the number one pop hit uh, on April 1st, 1989. Uh, Just a fantastic song. This is not only, I'm going to spoil it, but it's my favorite song on the chart. It's one of my favorite songs of the 80s, possibly one of my favorite songs ever. I just think it's a very great, compelling, stirring ballad. I love Susanna Hoffs' vocal performance, but there is kind of a creepy backstory that I learned that the producer of the song to coax a vulnerable sounding vocal performance out of Susanna Hoffs, the vocalist for the Bengals, she uh, told her that Olivia Newton-John records all her vocals in the nude. And so he convinced Susanna Hoffs to record the song in the nude, but Olivia Newton-John does not record songs in the nude. So he kind of duped Susanna Hoffs, kind of very creepy, in the Me Too area. It might have been error. It might have been funny in 1989. Maybe Shadow Stevens made light of it. But uh just kind of creepy. It makes me enjoy the song. Makes me think of the song in another way. Uh, that he kind of got that performance out of Susanna Hoffs through duplicitous means. So the producer of the Bengals Eternal Flames can go fuck himself, but I still objectively really enjoy the song. And Coming in at number one on April 1st, 1989, on the Billboard Adult Contemporary Charts, Roy Orbison with You Got It off of his final album, Mystery Girl. He died in November of 1988. The album came out in January 1989 and uh, was produced by Jeff Lynne. This song was co-written with uh, Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty, who, of course, were in The Traveling Wilburys with Roy Orbison. And it's just nice that... Roy Orbison after kind of a rough spell of his life in the 60s, late 60s, 70s and most of the 80s, he got Traveling Wilburys kind of brought him back to the limelight and he got one last big solo hit that was this was uh made the top 10 of the pop charts, number 1 of the adult contemporary charts again, wide swath of listeners. So it was probably a lot of older people that were like fuck yeah, Roy Orbison's back, baby. And he's oh no, he's not he's. Not here to stay, but he's back. And some young people were probably excited that the guy with the sunglasses from the Traveling Wilburys was doing a solo album. It's just good. It kind of They did a very good job of... Uh, Jeff Lynn did a very good job of adapting Roy Orbison's sound to the late 80s with this song. So I'm going to go with my personal top five before I bid you adieu. Uh, number five, controversially... Got to go with Kenny G and Smokey Robinson with Save the Best for Last. Number four, I'm going to go with Anita Baker. Uh, apologies to Andre 3000, frequent listener, for not ranking her higher. Number three, I'm going to go with Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years. Number two, Roy Orbison, you got it. And number one, Bangles. The Eternal Flame, even though it sounds like it was recorded in controversial circumstances, I can't deny that the the, the producer's creepy ways it it made for a great ballad. Uh, but don't do that. Don't uh, don't do people into recording into the nude. That actually that actually Nick Robes did the same thing to me for the uh, first episode of Less Rock More Talk. I got off the that off my chest. We will be back next week with another mini sode of Less Rock, Less Talk, More Soft. This is Connor McGrath signing off. Stay safe. Stay soft.